0: Thank you, Father. We exalt you, Lord, and we give you all the glory. Tonight, flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your Son, Jesus. That we'll come to maturity and be established, rooted, and grounded in your love. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be seated in heavenly glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Minister TMC, you are such a blessing to the body of Christ. We we, we thank God so much for your life. We love you. You are a gift. You are a gift. Let's appreciate this great man of God. God bless you so much. If you are not gone, when we are done ministering, you can minister to us again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, you ready for the word? Mm, 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 mm. Are you ready for the word? Yesterday we had a baptism of revelation. Tonight we have a resurrection of revelation. (laughs) Hallelujah. Alright, so we won't um, do so much of a recap of what we did yesterday. We just want to continue because... We have not even done 50% of what you are supposed to do. Okay, so we want to go straight to the point. Now, uh, we have been teaching on Christ, the true tabernacle. Hallelujah. We said uh, everything that was uh, in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. The message of the scriptures is Christ. Praise God. In Luke chapter 24, the verse 27, the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he began to expound in them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In the verse 31, the Bible says, And their eyes were opened, and he vanished from the outside. Praise God. So, Jesus is the revelation of the scriptures. From Genesis to Malachi, it points to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we saw Jesus revealed in the tabernacle of Moses. Uh, We said everything in the tabernacle was a type of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yesterday we described the tabernacle fence wall. We said the fence wall was made of acacia wood and it was overlaid and covered with um, white lining. We said the wood represents the obedience of Christ and the white lining represents the righteousness of Christ. So we can have the picture so those who are here for the first time can understand. So, Anytime a man enters into the tabernacle, you see the white thing there? When you enter into the tabernacle, it meant that you had entered into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So uh, anyone that saw you from outside could not see you. The person saw the white uh, cutting that was around the fence wall. It was to represent that when a man is in Christ, God sees him as the righteousness of Christ. God does not see your weaknesses. He does not see your faults. He sees uh, his son, Jesus Christ praise god because christ is our righteousness praise god so today we want to uh, go quickly into what we want to do now there were six items in the tabernacle that we want to explain if time will permit us i want to quickly list them then we're going to take them one after the other now when you enter into the fence wall into the tabernacle the first thing you're going to see is um, the uh, altar of sacrifice praise god or the altar of burning sacrifice that's the first thing you're going to see when you enter the tabernacle the second thing you're going to see is the um, bronze basin or basin for washing now when you enter into the tabernacle proper uh, the third thing you're going to see is the um, table of show bread which had 12 bread representing israel there the fourth thing you're going to see is the um, candelabrum or the candlestick The fifth thing you are going to see is the altar of um, incense. Then the sixth thing you are going to see, which is through the veil, is the Ark of Covenant. Praise God. So we are going to explain how all these things point to Christ because we said Jesus is the tabernacle. Praise God. The tabernacle was God's presence in the midst of His people. God wanted to dwell amongst His people, and we said Jesus Christ was at the tabernacle was a type of Christ. In John chapter one, to verse fourteen, from the Amplified Version, the Bible says that, "And the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst men." So the tabernacle is actually a person. Jesus is the tabernacle. Praise God. He says, "And the Word became flesh and tabernacled." That's the word dwell. It's from the Greek word skenu, which means to make tent or to fix a tent. So the tent in the wilderness was a type of Jesus Christ. So the tabernacle in the midst of Israel was God in the midst of Israel. That is why the Bible says his name shall be called Emmanuel, for God is with us. So Jesus is God with man. God was in the tabernacle. God was in Christ. and God was explained in the tabernacle and Jesus explained God when he lived on earth. Praise God. So now quickly we want to take a look at the altar of burning sacrifice. Let's have the picture so you appreciate what we're doing. The altar of burning sacrifice is the first thing you are going to see when you enter into the tabernacle. Praise God. Is the picture available? The altar of sacrifice. Now, that is the altar of sacrifice. Praise God. It's the first thing you are going to see when you enter the tabernacle so we quickly uh, you can find that when you go home you can do your, your uh, private studies you can read exodus chapter 27 the verse 1 to 8 and then leviticus chapter 12 chapter 6 the verse 12 and 13. exodus 27 1 to 8 leviticus chapter 6 the verse 12 and 13 so you can go and study the whole construction but i want to summarize it here be, uh, because of what i want to explain now like we said the altar of burning sacrifice is the first thing you're going to see when you enter into the uh, fence wall of the tabernacle Now, the word altar actually means uh, to slay or to slaughter. It's from a Latin word which means to lift up. It's the first thing you're going to see. Now, anytime you got close to the altar of burning sacrifice, you are going to see one thing, blood, smoke, fire, and animals. Praise God. Now, this altar you are seeing was made of two elements. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with bronze. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with what? Bronze. Secondly, the length and the breadth of the um, altar of sacrifice was equal. It was not the rec- uh, a rectangle. It was equal. It was a box-like equal uh, kind of uh, square. Praise God. So all the sides were equal. That's the second thing to note. Number three, uh, they it had horns on the four corners of the... Um, the burning uh, sacrifice, note it. So, number one, it was uh, made of what good uh, uh, go, uh, wood and then overlaid with what bronze. Number two, it, uh, the length and breadth was what equal, so it was perfect. Number three, there were horns on every corner of the uh, burning sacrifice. Number five, or number four, it was supposed to always burn with fire. The fire in the altar was never to go out. It was always supposed to burn. Praise God. So now, all the offerings that were offered to God were, were made on this altar. Please pay attention. Okay? All the offerings that were made were made on this altar. Any animal that died never went outside this altar. Any animal that was burnt, any animal that was killed was handled at this altar. Praise God. So now the burnt offering, the sin offering, and all the offerings went through this altar. Praise God. What happened was that when a man sins, he comes along with him with a lamb or a goat or a bull. Praise God. Or if he's poor, he'll come with a turtle dove. Praise God. When he comes, the priest will receive his animal. And examine the animal to see whether the animal has a fault. So if the animal was one eye, he was not worthy. If the animal was injured in one leg, he was not worthy. So the priest will examine. So he doesn't examine the animal. The priest examines the animal for him. So when the, the priest realizes that the animal is clean, he holds the hands of the sinner and places the hands of the sinner on the head of the animal. confesses his sins on the animal now the moment he confesses his sins on the animal the animal is then slaughtered and the blood of the animal is poured into a basin now when it's poured into a basin the priest would dip his hands into the blood and then sprinkle or anoint the four horns you are seeing he will anoint it with blood then the rest of the blood in the basin he will pour it at the foot of the altar now When this is done, the man who came with the animal or the lamb goes outside the tabernacle rejoicing and praising God. You know why? Because the animal took his place. So the altar of incense or the altar of sacrifice was actually picturing an exchange and substitution. Please note this. When the man comes with the animal, the animal is innocent. Number one. Number two, the animal is clean and without defect. When he brings the animal, the high priest examines the animal and when there is no fault, the animal takes the place of the sinner. So now, remember the animal is innocent. When hands are laid on the animal, the sins of the sinner are transferred to the animal and the innocence of the animal is transferred to the sinner. You didn't get this. So, The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. So the payment for sin is what? Death. Since the animal receives the sins of the sinner, what should happen to the animal? It must die. So the death of the animal is supposed to be your death. The suffering of the animal is supposed to be your suffering. So you can live rejoicing after the animal has been killed because you will not die. Did you follow this? good so after he's done killing the animal and uh, pouring the blood on the altar the rest of the flesh of the animal he will cut it into pieces that is the bent offering then he will take a knife and whip the flesh of the animal when he's done whipping it he will take the flesh the pieces of the animal and put it in the burning sacrifice or the altar of burning sacrifice. Then the fire consumes the flesh of the animal. Then the flesh of the animal becomes ashes. Then they collect the ashes, take it outside the camp, and then pour it there. That is the end of the sinner. He has become righteous. Now, let's decode Christ from here. The altar of burning sacrifice points to Jesus completely. Why? Because, number one, it must, it was made of Wood. And it was overlaid with what? Bronze. We said in the Bible, wood signifies the human body or humanity. So that means Jesus was man. He became a man. Praise God. We said bronze means what? Judgment. That means Jesus became the man that was overlaid with our judgment. Praise God. And now fire was put inside the altar. What does fire represent? Judgment. So now, the sinner comes not by himself because for you to experience salvation, you cannot come by yourself. He comes with a lamb or an animal to exchange him. So when he comes with an animal, the priest lays hands together with him, and confesses his sins upon him. When Jesus came and John saw him, John baptized him. Remember, John the Baptist was from the uh, loins of a high priest. That means John was qualified to be a high priest. So, as John laid hands on Jesus and baptized him, the sins of the whole world was placed upon him. So, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, behold the lamp of God, that taketh away or lifted or shifts the sin of the world. So now, when the high priest together with the sinner lays hands on the animal, the innocence of the animal is transferred to the sinner and the sins of the sinner is transferred to the animal. That's, that's called substitution. It's called exchange. But that was not the only thing. Number two, the sinner identifies with the offering and the offering identifies with the sinner. That is called identification. So Jesus' death handled two things. His death was a substitutional work, and his death was a work of identification. In other words, Jesus died for us, and Jesus died us. Now, there's a difference between substitution and identification. Substitution means exchange. You are supposed to die. I will take your place. Exchange. That is ident- uh, substitution. Identification is different. Identification means that I became you. So my death was your death. So substitution is Christ died for me. Identification is Christ died me. Are you getting this? So now, just like hands was laid and sins was transferred... As John the Baptist laid hands on Jesus, the sins of the whole world was transferred upon Jesus and Jesus became the bearer of man's sins. Now, what happens is that the lamb is slaughtered. The slaughtering or the killing of the animal was a type of how Jesus Christ was slain on the cross. Did you follow this? How Jesus was slain. So now, I told you, that he took the horns the the blood dipped his hands in his blood and then anointed what the horns of the altar in the bible horns signifies power and the blood was placed on the horns that means there is power in the blood of jesus christ did you see that there is power in the blood of jesus to save so now the animal is cut into pieces and the animal is not just cut into pieces. You flay the animal that has been cut into pieces. Remember, Jesus Christ was, he, was, he received what? Stripes at his back. That flaying was the stripes of Jesus. Not only that, the animal's pieces were, was placed in the burning sacrifice. What does fire represent? Judgment. That means Christ received the judgment for our sins on the cross. Remember, the altar of burning sacrifice was made of wood. So, when you put the animal into the the altar, it means Christ was put on the cross, the wood. So, when the the fire consumes the sacrifice, it tells you that uh, the, the judgment of our sins was placed on the head of Jesus. And Jesus bore all the judgment for our sins. Now, this might not make sense to us because we might not understand what it means for Jesus to bear the judgment of your sins. When the Bible says Jesus bore the judgment of your sins, it means you will not be judged for your sins again. Listen to this. On the cross, Jesus suffered for sins. Will you suffer for your sins? Why? Because someone did it you know sometimes when we are talking about the cross we just talk about it as in oh jesus died for all of us and when we all believe we'll be saved you see that's how we talk about it but there's something more deeper he was judged so that he would not be judged He was punished so that you would not be punished. He was bruised so that you would not be bruised. He was made sick so that you would not be made sick. Jesus separated from God so that you can be eternally united and bonded together with God. This is the reality of the altar of burning sacrifice. It tells you that Christ became the innocent lamb that received the judgment of our sins. Lift your hands and say this. Christ is the judgment of my sins. Come on, say it. Christ Christ. is the judgment of my sins. Now, listen to this. Like I told you, when the high priest or the priest lays hands on the sacrifice, the value of the sacrifice becomes the value of the sinner. So now, what it means is that if the animal is perfect, you live perfect. If the animal becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to God, You also become a sweet smelling aroma. Let me tell you something. God does not examine you. He examines your sacrifice. You didn't get this. God does not examine you. When he brought the animal, the priest did not say, turn your back and let me see. He examined what? The animal. God does not examine you. He examines Jesus. If Jesus is clean, you are clean. If Jesus is innocent, you are innocent. If Jesus has been judged, you have been judged. What Jesus did to God, you have done. And that is what Christians must arm themselves with. So if Jesus was punished, in your understanding, you know you can never be punished because of what you have done. This is good news. Tell somebody this is good news. Come on. So now, we need to understand that Jesus suffered for sins. If we don't understand this, we will not understand our salvation. You know, today, many treat salvation as, oh, if you sin, you go to hell. If you lie, you go to hell. People don't understand the salvation thing. Now, when Adam sinned, you were not there. But God said, you sinned in him, for all have sinned. So, guess what? You are not a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you were a sinner. Because <laughs> Adam transferred his sinnership into you. The work of Adam became your worth. What Adam did became your inheritance. In fact, you were the next of king. So his death became your death. Are you getting this? When you were in Adam, there was nothing good you could do. That can make you righteous. was there? Hmm, was that? Are you sure? Oh, come on. Was there? So, now that Jesus came as the second man and as the last Adam, and now you are in Christ, do you think there is something bad you can do that that can make you go out of Christ? If you don't understand this, you don't understand salvation. Salvation is about two men, Adam and Adam. Adam and Jesus. Adam and Christ. It is all about salvation. God does not see people. He sees two men. All sinners are in Adam. All righteous men are in Christ. So if you are in Adam, no matter the good you do, you are still perishing. You don't get this thing. If you are in Christ, someone says, man of God, so are you saying That is what I'm saying. When people hear this message, it liberates them to worship God in truth and in spirit. That God holds nothing against me. He holds nothing against me Because my lamb was worthy. Tell someone, my lamb was worthy. Come on, shout it. My lamb was worthy. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Now watch this. Hebrews nine twenty-six. Jesus suffered for our sins. Now look, he says, For them must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to do what? Put away sin by the what? sacrifice of himself. So what did the sacrifice of Jesus do? He did what? He put away sin. The word put away means to annihilate. It means to cancel forever. It means to disannul forever. It means to abolish forever. In other words, once and forevermore, God will never deal with you according to your sins. Look at the next verse. He says, As it is appointed unto men to die once, but after this, judgment. This is not for funeral preaching. You hear people preach, he says, Beloved, at the funeral. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after this, the judgment. Hey, hey. Is that full stop? So you cannot take this out of context to build a doctrine. How many times does a man die? Once. After this, what does he receive? Judgment. Paul or the writer of Hebrews was using one time death to describe a one time activity of Christ. Look at the next verse. He said, so Christ was. So he's using one time death to describe the work of Jesus. So if man dies once, that means the sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all. So look, he says so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, shall he appear, what? A second time, without sin. Unto? He's telling you that Jesus is coming for the second time, not to deal with sin. No, you know, you hear many people say, when Jesus comes, he's going to deal with Christians with their sins. The person does not understand the New Testament scriptures. He said when Jesus is coming for the first second time, he is not coming to deal with sin because he dealt with it. He is coming to save you completely. So the second coming of Jesus is not a fearful event. It's a joyful event. Now if your big brother tells you I'm traveling, I'll be back and after 30 years you receive a call and he says I'm coming tomorrow. Does fear grip you or joy? So why is it that when you're hearing that Jesus is coming fear grips you? You don't understand who your big brother is. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see the level of fear amongst Christians. You ask a Christian today, are you saved? He says, yes. How do you know you are saved? Oh, I do what is good. If you hear that the person doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian, are you saved? yes What? how do you know you are saved? oh because I, I go to church you see that's the problem people account their salvation by what they do their salvation is not based on what is done, that is the problem of the church have you seen that? now let's go back to the scripture Jesus suffered for sins, let's go to the next scripture 1st Peter chapter 3 to verse 18 now look he says for Christ also had once what? suffered for sins The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Why are you? You are with God. To bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit. Now he's saying Christ also has suffered once for sins. So Jesus suffered for your sins. So the believer cannot suffer for his sins. Is it clear? Let's move on. Hebrews, uh, 1 John chapter 2, the verse 1. This is too good though. Look, he says, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. So it's not good to sin. He says, but if any man sin, we have a lawyer. We have an attorney. He says, "An advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, look at the next verse. He says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is helanskomai, which means atoning victim. That means Jesus became a victim for your sins. So, if Jesus was victimized for your sins, will you ever be victimized? You see, this is the equation. It works. Praise God. Let's look at the next one. John chapter 12, the verse 31. John 12, 31. Look, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. Look at the next verse. Then he says, next verse. The verse 32. All right, let me read from here. John chapter... Okay, good. He says and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all unto me. Now, do you see the word man has been put in bracket? Anytime you read the Bible, you see bracket or you see a word that has been slanted, that means it was not in original. Translators put it there to make sense. So, um remove the man from there. Okay? He says now is the judgment of this world. So, what was he referring to? Judgment, right? He says if I be lifted from the earth. What did he ta- what was he talking about being lifted? The cross. So he says, if I be lifted from the cross, I will draw all unto, so what is he drawing to him? All All what? Judgment. Judgment. So, remove the man from there because he was not supposed to to be there. Translators put it there. So he's saying, now is the judgment of the world. And if I be lifted from the earth, that is on the cross, I will draw all that judgment unto myself. Look at the next verse to prove what we are saying. He says, this said he, signifying the death, he should die. What death is that? The judgment death. Is it clear? Wonderful. So we move on. Let's look at the next scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, the verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. Now he says, for even here unto where ye called... Because Christ also did what? Uh- uh-uh. Christ also did what? Suffered for us. So the sufferings of Jesus was not for him. He suffered for us, leaving as an example that we should follow His steps. Now look at First um, Peter, look at the verse 23, verse 23. He says, "Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again?" When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that would judges righteously. So, Jesus suffered. He was reviled. Praise God. Let's look at the last scripture. Isaiah chapter 53, the verse 3. He says he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Look at the next verse. He says, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Look at the verse 5. He said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded for our Wounded for our? Listen, when you're reading the Bible, okay, and you see what Jesus did, put yourself there. If Jesus was wounded for your transgression, will God wound you for your transgression? So, to say that God is punishing you because of something you did is what? Heresy. Because he wounded Jesus for your transgression. He was bruised for our? iniquities, the punishment or chastisement of our peace was what? Upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So Jesus was wounded. He was bruised for our sins. Tell somebody Christ was wounded for my sins. Therefore I cannot be wounded for my sins. Wonderful. So back to the altar of burning sacrifice. Now, there was something amazing about the altar of burning sacrifice. When a man was under threat of death, then he successfully manages to run into the fence wall and touches the horns of the altar. He can't die. That means if he goes to steal and they are looking for him to stone him and he enters the place and holds it, they can't kill him. It was like the embassy. (laughs) It's amazing. So now, let's look at an example of what happened. 1st Kings chapter 2, the verse 28. 1st Kings 2, 28. The Bible says, "Tidings came to Jacob, for Joab had turned after Adonijah. Adonijah rebelled he was supposed to die because Joab was going to kill him. Though he turned not after Absalom, and Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord, and caught hold of the what? The horns of the altar. He was supposed to die. And he escaped and entered into the tabernacle, and then he held the horns of the altar. They could not kill him again. Now, what was he saying? Do you know the man was supposed to die, right? He was guilty. He was supposed to die. Now, what was put on the horns of the altar? Blood. Representing what? That life has already been taken. So, if you held it, you are saying that, though I deserve to die, I cleave to the horns that was sacrificed for me. So, therefore, I cannot die. Praise So, in the New Testament, when a man believes Jesus, he has held the homes. So, this man has eternal life. He will never perish. He will never go to hell. He will never be judged for his sins. When we're in Sunday school, we're told that when you sin, God has recorded everything, and then when we appear in heaven, they will put your sins on a Samsung flat screen, thousand inches, and every believer will be standing like this. Everybody's watching. So, when you are watching someone's own, get ready for yours. We show you all the, the, the stealing you were doing, then all the believers say, he, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the truth of the matter is that today, you can't even lie to Sunday school children again with that lie. Because after telling them, they'll still do it. <laughs> there is no Samsung, Samsung screen in heaven. Did Jesus suffer for sins? Yes. you know what he did to your sins? He destroyed the videotape on the cross. Yes. Praise God. Yes. Tell some of my sins yes. will never yes. be projected because Jesus yes. bore them. In Hebrews chapter 10, to verse 16, look at this beautiful scripture. Hebrews 10, 16. Please go and read these scriptures. Some of these things you are teaching might be new to you, but uh, you have to release your, release your religious muscles, okay? He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. That is the problem. Many Christians don't know the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. So there are New Testament believers who are still functioning by the Old Testament. That is the problem. Now, today, if you give me financial currency, that existed in 1954. If you want to use it to buy something at a Czech restaurant, will they, they sell it for you? Imagine, you have gone to a chopper, you ordered for fufu, you ordered for meat, uh, worth uh, 150 Ghana Cedis. And then you finish eating the fufu, you took the toothpick, you you just remove your teeth, and they ask you, yes, please, your bill is one fifty Ghana cedis. Then you took nineteen fifty seven money and gave it to them. Two things will happen. You either be beaten, or you wash the place for three days. Praise God, because you are using an old currency that has no power anymore in a current dispensation. So now many Christians are relating to God, or with God, the Old Testament way. You hear a believer praying Jambes prayer, Oh God of Jabez, stop praying that prayer. Because what Jambes had, we have better. Yeah, you hear believers praying Daniel prayers, every prince of pressure. you don't understand this. Daniel was not born again. He was praying and there was a distance between his prayer and his God. In the New Testament, God is living in us. A prayer does not come from a distance, it's within us. God is here. So, the answer to his prayer was coming from a distance. An angel was coming and a demon stopped the angel. So, he had to pray for 21 days before the answer came. In the New Testament, the answer to a prayer is not from heaven to earth. It is from heaven to heaven. Why? Because we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. So, that is the difference. So, you cannot pray a prayer like Daniel. Now, who answers prayers? Jesus. He says, whatsoever you shall ask, I will do. So, Jesus answers prayers. Who are you seated with? Christ. So, in the New Testament, you are seated with your answer before you prayed. Are you seeing that? So, many believers are living like Old Testament guys. He said, God, I want to be, give me the anointing of Elijah. Hey! What is that? You want to kill people? Lord, I need the grace of something. Stop praying that nonsense these guys were living in shadows we have a new reality Elijah and Elijah was about Christ Elijah was Christ Elijah was the church when Elijah was about to ascend he asked him what do you want he says give me a double portion when Christ was about to ascend he told them the works that I do you do also and greater works we don't do double portion we do greater works so now listen when when Elijah ascended he dropped a mantle when Christ ascended he dropped the person of the Holy Ghost and Elisha picked it, when he picked it he splashed the Jordan and said why is the God of Elijah now the word Jordan means redemption that means after receiving the Holy Ghost we will split the realities of redemption and walk in it After that, he took off his old garment and put on the mantle that fell. In the New Testament, the old man has been buried. We have put on the new man that is created in God, in true righteousness and holiness. So you cannot be like Elijah. Praise God. So the believer has something better in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, sins were remembered. In the New Testament, sins are remembered no more. In the Old Testament, the focus was on the sin of man. In the New Testament, the focus is on the Son of God, who took the sin of man to make the man of sin, the Son of God. In the New Testament, God formed a people, Israel. In in the old testament god formed a people they were called israel they were the people of god in the new testament god formed a family so there's a difference. god was your master in the new testament god is our father so that's what people have not realized so today we still call god by those names jehovah chikenu jehovah rafa in the new testament there is only one name it is called father so, all the names of God in the Old Testament are all embedded in the name of Jesus. It's in the fatherhood of God because Jehovah Rapha means God is your healer. Who healed you? Christ. Jehovah, um, um, give me more. See, <laughs> care with the Lord and righteousness. Christ has become your righteousness. He says, Jehovah what? Nisi the Lord is banner. Christ is your victory. So, everything is embedded in the finished work. When you receive Christ, you have received the totality of God in you. So, people don't understand this. In the Old Testament, God visited men. He will use something for a time. When he's done, the Spirit will leave him. He becomes an ordinary man. In the New Testament, we did not receive visitation, we have inhabitation. Yeah so your body is no longer a hotel room where god checks in and out it is a home where he stays he says your body is my temple so god lives in your body your body is the temple of god he says i will never leave you nor forsake you so the spirit of god is god in a man the word temple in greek is what now which means what? shrine so the believer's body is a shrine in other words no good no good powers is not even strong enough Inside you is an intercontinental ballistic missile. Hold on, please see that. So, people don't get the difference. We live in a better testament. The resurrection life of God is in us. So, you don't behave like Old Testament folks. God if your presence does not go with me i won't go don't go don't go he says i will never leave you nor forsake you so his presence is in you where you go he goes god lives in me man he lives in me he lives in me he talks in me he heals in me the glory of god is in my spirit Be a New Testament folk, man. So believers who are living by the Old Testament are villagers. Oh, it's a reality, man. So they live a cheap life. Always begging God. When they don't know their sons. Their sons of God. I'm a son of God. I told you, in the New Testament, believers are not in a covenant with God. You hear believers say, I've made a financial covenant with God. Stop that. You can't obey it. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with men and men broke it. So the New Testament, he would never do it with a man. So in the New Testament, he knows that you cannot fulfill it. So he himself became the man to represent all men as Jesus. So the New Testament is a testament between God and God, the man Jesus. So when God kept the covenant with Jesus Christ, you were not in it in the first place. So the New Testament cannot be broken by the believer because it was not made with you. So I told you, when a man and a woman enter into a marriage covenant, the end result is what? Children. When the children grow, are the children in a covenant with their father? They are in what relationship? So, the covenant between Jesus and God bet us when we came, we don't have covenant, we have relationship. It's a father and son thing. The Bible says, God sent for the spirit of His Son who lives in us, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Papa. God is my Papa, He's my Papa, He's my Papa, man. Come on, shout, He's my Papa. Thank you Jesus so when the sacrifice is bent into ashes it is collected now why would the sacrifice be bent into ashes now when something is bent into ashes it means it is irrevocable you cannot turn it back into its uh, already made state that means it is completely finished that it cannot be changed it is permanent he is telling you that what Jesus did is irrevocable so your salvation is not re- is not revocable so someone says when you say you lose yourself you can't lose something that is finished Have you see what I'm talking about? That's what people have not realized. The believer, the believer is a giant. He's the brother of Jesus. I've told you that the believer is the body of Christ. Are you aware? Christ is the head. And the, the church is the body. If God, if Jesus goes to heaven without you, God will question him. Let's move on. Number two. The brazen lover. Or the bronze lover. Now you're going to find this in Exodus chapter 30, the verse 17 to 21. And then Exodus chapter 38, the verse 8. Now quickly, let's describe the brazen lover. Now, let's... Can I have a picture for the brazen lover? Now, the brazen lover was actually... Uh, a basin for washing hands and feet. Okay, now let me give you the picture before we move on. You have the picture, the brazing lava. The word brazing also means bronze. Okay, the brazing lava. Now that's the brazing lava. It's the second thing you're going to see. Now the brazing lava was made of bronze all over. Okay, now what happened was that it was a requirement that before the priests begin their priestly office, they are supposed to wash their hands and their feet before they start their office. And when they are done with their office or they are done with their work, they are supposed to wash their hands and feet again. In fact, God warned them that if you don't wash your hands and feet and you enter, you will die. So, to God, not washing your hands and feet was a matter of life and death. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? So, they were supposed to wash their what? Their hands and feet before starting their office. Now, in the Bible, hands and feet, what do they stand for? Hands is for working. Feet are for walk. So, the hands and the feet were washing. Typology, uh, in typology, it was speaking of their work and their work. That was the purpose of the washing. Praise God. Now, in Exodus chapter 40, In the ordination, chapter 40, um, the verse 11, in the ordination of the priest, now please pay attention. In the ordination of the priest, when the priests were being consecrated for the first time, or when the priests were being commissioned into office, Moses himself bathed them in water. He bathed them all over in water before they were ordained as priests. Are you following this? He bathed them in water, all over, and give them new garments. Now, let's watch this. He says, and thou shalt anoint the lava of his food and sanctify it. Uh Uh-huh. He says, and thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and do what? Wash them with with water. Uh Uh-huh. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments, and anoint him and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Uh Uh-huh. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. Uh Uh-huh. And thou shalt anoint them and as thou did anoint their father that they may minister to me in the priest's office. So they were first, what? Washed. And they were given new clothes. They received one time wash in their commissioning. Are you following this? But now, in their office and in their work, they were supposed to wash their feet and wash their hands daily by themselves. catching the flow? In the ordination, Moses bathed them himself, their whole body. They were means all over. They were washed all over. But in their service, they were supposed to wash their hands and feet daily if they were supposed to leave. Before and after service. Is anybody catching the flow? So now, what does the entire bath represent and what does the feet washing represent? Now, the batting Moses bathed them was representing salvation when a man receives Jesus he has received a bath did you follow that when a man receives Jesus he has been bathed he has received a bath remember in the bathing process they did not do it themselves Moses the mediator did it now in the salvation process we don't save ourselves right who does it jesus the mediator of the new covenant so they received a bath once moses never bathed them again now for their daily service or office they were supposed to wash their hands and their feet question why were they supposed to wash their hands and their feet because number one their hands were stained with the blood sacrifice and their feet were stained with dust, because the place where they offered it was barefooted, full of dust. It was not cemented. Are you seeing that? So they were stained by the blood, and stained by the dust. So remember I told you, Moses bathed them once, but for their service, they were supposed to wash their hands and their feet by themselves. The bath of Moses represents salvation. When a man is in Christ, he has been what? Bathed. Let's take some scriptures together. Um, John chapter 3, the verse 10. 13, the verse 10. John 13, 10. John 13, 10. Now look. He says, And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed, needed not to save, to wash his feet. He says, needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, And ye are clean, but not all. Now, when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, when he got to Peter, Peter says, Oh, master, then wash me all over. And Jesus said to him that he that has been washed needed not save to wash his feet. Jesus was telling him that he who has had his bath already does not need a second bath. Jesus was speaking in parables saying that he that has been saved does not need to save himself again, but he has to wash his feet. He has to wash his walk. Are you seeing this? So the bath is what salvation. Now look at First uh, Corinthians chapter six, the verse nine to eleven. Now, come to 11 straight away. Now, look. He says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. (coughs) Did he say we're washed? He said, ye are. What is the washing? Salvation. He says, ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in your works, right? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That is salvation. The believer is washed, he is sanctified, and he is justified. That's salvation. Now look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 6. Titus 3, 4 to 6. Now look at this. He says, but after the kindness and love of God as Savior toward man appeared, uh huh, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he did what? Saved us. So this is salvation. How did he save us? By the washing of regeneration. That was the bath. The washing of regeneration and the renewing, the word end is that is the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So when a man is born again, he's saved. When a man is saved, he is washed. What washing is that? The washing of regeneration reward generation. So this man has been re engineered, he has received new genes, regened. He has received new genes. That is his wash. He has been washed once. He has been saved once. Praise God. Let's look at the final scripture. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5b. Look. He says and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and did what? Washed us. Is it future tense? Is that what? washed us the word wash is low which means to bath all over so it says he has washed us all over from our sins in his own blood that is salvation the believer has been washed he has received a bath in salvation are you following this but you see in his service he was supposed to wash his hands and hands and feet now like we said the hand is for working. The feet is for walking. He was supposed to wash his hands and feet representing us as New Testament priests. We are supposed to cleanse our work and our walk with the water. Praise God. So now, in the Old Testament, there were three main ways of achieving uh, cleansing. You are cleansed either by fire, cleansing is by uh, water, and cleansing is by blood. Praise God. So fire is for purification. Purification. Blood is for cleansing and then water is for washing. Are you catching this? So now like we said salvation is the bath but in our walk with God we need to cleanse with the water of God's word. So now watch uh, Ephesians chapter 5 the verse 26. Ephesians 5 26. Look he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Talking of the church. With the washing of water by the by the Remember, in the Old Testament priests, they were washed how many times? They were bathed how many times? Once, which represents salvation. But in their service, they were supposed to wash their hands and feet, representing their service and their work. Telling us that when a man is saved, there are two things that happens to him. His works can be stained and his walk can be dusted. Now, do you know that dust is a natural element? When you bath and you permit yourself and you go out, can you stop the dust from settling on your legs? So there's nothing you can do about the dust. The dust represents the world. You cannot stop the radio from playing. You cannot stop social media from moving. You cannot stop TV from moving. All these things are dust. There are some information you can hear that becomes dust on your feet. It affects your walk. So you hear on the TV, I told you, there are many stations, Peace FM. yet there's no peace joy fm yes no joy asempa there's no good news atinka there's no feeling (laughs) so all these things are bombarding us they are they are the dust they stain us and it affects our work there are some philosophies that we hear that becomes dust on our feet It, it does not affect our salvation because we are washed already but it affects our work You can hear a hamperless advertising drugs. He says, hey, sister, now that information can be a stain because it can can affect your mind and now you begin to imagine, yeah, that's why the pain is killing me like that. That means I'm about to die. It's a stain. We receive certain information from the TV. Even some men of God can cause stains. You can watch some television stations. And you, you'll be in trouble, stains all over. There are stains all over. You are living in a world where nobody gives a damn about anybody. You leave early in the morning before you get to the office, six people have insulted you on the way already. You feel discouraged, you feel depressed. There are people today who are committing suicide because of what someone told them that you are useless. It's a stain. And listen if you don't deal with the stains, it can affect your work. There are people today whose work have been stayed and it has crippled them. They had one information. Someone said to them, you are stupid. Someone said to them, you are useless. They, they themselves knew that they, are, they will amount to nothing. Now some of you, you are going to school, all right, you are in level 400, but you know you have not become anything. You don't even know what you are studying. It's a serious matter here. There are people today who have been bombarded Now, they don't even want to hear anything about marriage because they'll be disappointed. They are all stains. Stains are anything that doesn't come from God's word. Anything that does not proceed from God's word is a stain. The word will tell you, save and be rich. God says, give. So now you are being stained. The word says, life begins at 40. Meanwhile, in Christ, life begins in Christ. So you see, we are stained all over with a lot of things on the social media platform. You, You can see someone's Facebook and you watch the picture in his suit, you think this guy is some Dada B, and then you wonder, ah, look at me, my own mate, he finished two years ago. You are being stained, be careful. So now you start comparing yourself with people. You see someone on a, uh, standing beside some um, Fortuna or some Benz, you say, wow, this guy is prosperous. Meanwhile, it was somebody's car. But now you start comparing yourself. There are many of you who are, you see, some of you, now when you see people's progress, then your heart is beating. You are being stained. When you see people who, who you thought were amount to nothing, now they become something. Then you are like, what is, what is all this about my life? You are comparing yourself to people. You are being stained. The competition is affecting you. Your life has now become more materialistic than being in Christ. They are all stains. These things affect our heart and our, and our minds. But listen, there was a solution. What was the solution? The bronze lover. They were supposed to wash their hands and their feet. Listen, the bronze lava represents Jesus as God's word for you. You are supposed to wash your walk and your work with the word of God. Jesus said, here are clean because of my word. So the word of God cleanses a believer to affect his walk and his work. Praise God. So believers are supposed to come to God daily. Remember the washing was done by Moses. The daily washing was done by the priests themselves salvation was done by christ walking in the word and growing spiritually is your responsibility you are supposed to grow up spiritually for yourself i told you jesus died for your salvation but he did not die for your spiritual growth i don't think you rise up and jesus will hold your legs sister let's go to the dining table and study the word of god and you're going like this you sit down speak in tongues if you don't want to speak then the holy ghost will say "Laco, laco, laco." That's what happens to us. Then all of us will grow spiritually. God won't do that for you. Praise God! I wish it was possible. The Holy Ghost would not say, "My daughter, today is a holy day. Fast for me." He won't say that you must fast, you must pray, you must study the Word so now the process of you cleansing your feet and your walk is what the word of God does for you now can I shock you with this now the bronze lava was actually collected from the um, women when they came from Egypt and the bronze they used was mirrors for the women what they used to do the bronze lava was the mirror of the women is it telling you something the bronze they used was the mirror of the women So they collected the mirror of the women and they used it to do the brazen lava and they poured the water inside. Now let's look at Exodus 38.8. This is too good. He says, Exodus 38.8. Look, he says, where is it, where is it, where is it? Exodus 38, 8. Yeah, Exodus 38, 8. Now look, he says, And he made the lava of brass, and the foot of the brass of the looking glasses, of the what? Women, what? Assembling. The word looking glasses, actually, looking glasses, is what? Mirror. That's looking glass. So the mirrors the women used was what was made to, what was used to do what? The brazen lava. Guess what? The Bible, the word of God is called what? Mirror. And the water represents life. It was inside. He is telling you of the life that is in the word. Are you catching this? So now, when the priests were washing their hands, they could see themselves. This is too good. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse eight. he says, we all with an unveiled face as we behold us in the mirror, the glory of God are being changed. What is the change? The water. It brings the change from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit. So, as they were washing their hands, they were looking at their mirror and they were seeing themselves. In other words, when we behold God's word, we are cleansed. Because God's word is a mirror. He says, beloved, be doers of the word and not hearers only. But he that is a hearer and not a doer is lacking unto a man. He beholds his natural face in the mirror and comes out only forgetting what manner of man he is. That means when a man gazes into the word of God, he sees himself. Now, in this physical world, when you look into a mirror, what do you see? Are you sure? Okay. You see yourself, right? God is telling you. Who is the word of God? Jesus. And the word of God is the mirror, right? So, when you look into the word, what do you see? Jesus, right? And when you look into a mirror, what do you see? Yourself. When you look into the word, what do you see? Jesus as yourself. (laughs) So, actually, Jesus is yourself. You know what it means? What is true about Christ is what is true about you. So, as you behold the word, you see him in you. When you hear Jesus being righteous, that is you you are seeing. Jesus did not have to become righteous for himself. He was righteous. He did not have to die for himself. Because he had no sin. So everything Jesus did was for you. So as you behold Jesus in the word, who are you seeing? You. Tell somebody I see Jesus. I see Jesus. So as you behold the word, you are cleansed. Praise God. As you behold the word, you are Cleansed that means how you study the word matters. You can read the word with the lens of Moses and see curses, Deuteronomy 28, <laughs> see laws, 10 commandments, see 613 laws. Yeah, I have a lot of burden on me. You are seen with the wrong lens. A believer must read the word with the lens of Jesus. How do you do that? You must now read the word from the perspective of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because that was what changed the whole equation. Now we see Jesus in his finished work when we study the word. Because what is true about Jesus Christ is true about who? It's true about who? me. It's true about who? Say, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my mirror. As I behold him, I see myself. As I see him, I see me. As I know him, I know me. Jesus is my life. Praise God. So, we are done with the um, brazen lava. So, quickly, we want to go to the third thing. The table of showbread. The table of showbread now when you are outside the tabernacle all you see is bronze because bronze signifies judgment but when you enter into the tabernacle proper all you see is gold because gold signifies divine things that means the judgment represents christ as a judgment right that means when a man has been saved he has been given access to now experience divine things because this is what you see in the tabernacle proper when you enter everything there is gold Gold signifies divinity. So now that you have entered proper, you can now function with divine things. So everything that is gold. So when you enter, the first thing you see is the table of showbread or the table of his presence. This is too good, though. Now let's describe the table a bit. Now, the table was number one made of acacia wood. And it was overlaid with gold. You hear this a lot. It was made of wood and overlaid with what? Gold. Good. Now, secondly, the table had rings on the four corners. On the uh, the burning sacrifice, it had horns. On this table, it had what? Rings. Please note that. Can you see the rings? Good. So the rings, they put a pole there so that they can be able to carry it. So it was a ring that was designed on the uh, table of showbread. Okay? Now, the next thing you're going to see was 12 loaves of bread. Fresh and hot. Pan of show. (laughs) Fresh, fresh. 12. Now, note this. The 12 loaves were all of the same size, same weight, same material. It is very important. Too. It was same size, same weight, same material. Twelve, each bread is representing one of the tribes. How many tribes were they camp? Twelve. So twelve breads on the table. Are you watching this? Good. So the bread was supposed to last for six days. On the seventh day, the priests will eat it. <laughs> So if you are a priest, you are just waiting for seven days. <laughs> seven days, you just find some mellow tea. You just take it off. Praise God. Good. On the bread, the priest takes frank incense. You know frank incense? That aromatic incense that comes here. Yes. Then they will sprinkle the frank incense on the bread. So as the bread is heated up like that, there is a nice aroma that comes out of it. Praise God. then it was on the table it was called the table of god's presence in other words god was on that table so if you were close to that table you were actually close to god's presence because god was looking at the bread so it was called the table of of his presence please note what i'm saying because it's going to really help you okay now the table of showbread was to point to israel that god wanted to dine with man So, it was actually the dining table of God. Are you following this? Good. So, the bread on the table was to signify that God wants to dine with all the tribes. That means he wanted to dine with everybody in the camp. That was his goal. Praise God. So, now, that is what the table of showbread pictures to the Jews. Now, in the New Testament, there is something better about this table. Now, in the Bible, table signifies what? Can someone tell me? What does table signify? Dining table, a place for eating. What again are you thinking about? Or some of you don't have tables at home. I understand. Levels go change. Praise God. So, it was a golden table which was uh, made of wood. Now, let's explain this in the light of Christ. The... Acacia wood that was designed into a table which was overlaid with gold was a picture that Jesus was man and he was God. Gold signifies divinity. Wood signifies humanity. So the table made of wood overlaid with gold represents Jesus. He was God. He was man. Full man. Praise God. Now table signifies fellowship. So God wanted to dine with Israel. So as the priest got close to the table it was as though all Israel was at the table. So that was where God and Israel met to dine and fellowship. Who is the table? Christ. The Bible says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So the table brought God and men together. Telling us that Jesus is the fellowship of man. Between God and man. So he made a fellowship with God possible. Because he is the table we dine on. Praise God. Number one, that's, so the table was God eating and dining with man. Number two, on the table, you find bread. Bread. Who is the bread? Jesus is the bread of life. Now, let's look at some scriptures. John chapter 6, the verse 35. John 6, 35. Look, he says, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. So, what was the table of bread pointing to? Jesus as the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look at John chapter 6, the verse 48. 48. Look, he says, I am the bread of life. So who is the bread of life? So what did the bread represent? Jesus asked the bread of life. Now let's examine how the bread is made. For you to make bread, you need flour. Flour is made of wheat that has been pounded. Uh, you follow this? Flour is made of what? Wheat that has been pounded. Jesus, in John chapter 12, the verse 24, he says, until a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies. So who is the wheat? Christ. He was pounded, sufferings, to become fine flour. Not only that, the flour is actually put into fire and it is baked. So Christ's life, Went through suffering on the cross. That's the fire. Judgment. You don't put living in this bread. It was called on living bread. In the Bible, living signifies sin. That means there was no sin in Christ. Now, when you bake it, you pour frank incense on it. In the Bible, frank incense signifies the beautiful work that Christ did. It's actually an aroma unto God. It tells us that the work of Jesus Christ was beautiful to God. So now, this bread was on the table. Jesus is the bread of life. Now remember, it was 12 breads with the same size, the same measurement, and the same weight. You know what it means? It means that Jesus Christ life to all men has no specifics. Let me explain. It means that nobody enjoys special fellowship with God. Everybody's fellowship with God through Christ is the same. So you hear someone says that, for me, I have a special covenant with God. It's a lie. In fact, there are even pastors who say they have a special unction for God, that from God that makes them unique from other members. It's a lie. Nobody was called uniquely. Nobody was saved specially. Even if you saw Jesus and God born again, it's the same blood. In other words, nobody can boast of having a special relationship with God. We all have equal relationship. We all have equal um, fellowship with God. Nobody has any special unique fellowship. The Bible says God is rich to all who call upon him. He's the same God that is rich to all. Romans chapter 10. He's the same. So nobody special. It was the same bread. In fact, bread is a universal commodity. Do you know that? Fufu is not a universal commodity. Teasert is not a universal commodity. You can eat teasert in Ghana. You can't eat it in China. But the only food that is universal is bread. You can eat bread in Ghana, eat bread in China. The president eats it. The poor man eats it. The rich man eats it. Everything common to man for diet is bread. In other words, Christ is a universal commodity. Every man can eat him. Everybody can eat him. Every man can access him. Whether you are rich, you need him. Everybody needs bread, including the president. That means Jesus can be accessed. He's edible. Every man at all can eat him. Praise God. Say, Jesus is my diet. He's my sustenance. I dine in Christ. Hallelujah. So it represents a fellowship with God table of showbread. And look at this final one. There were rings on the table. In the Bible, rings signify that which is eternal. It signifies that which cannot be broken. It signifies that which has no end. It signifies to us, the table of showbread, that our fellowship with God is eternal. Wow. We don't break out of fellowship. When we were in SU, we're taught some teaching. They said everybody has relationship and fellowship. You cannot lose relationship, but you can lose fellowship. Since when? <laughs> Our relationship with God and fellowship with God is unbreakable. It's eternal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Let's look at some scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. Look, he says, and God is faithful. Who is faithful? Uh-uh. Who is faithful? God. Who is faithful? By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ, are God is Faithful. whose faithfulness called you into fellowship, not your faithfulness. So, if it is God's faithfulness that called you into the fellowship of His Son, can your unfaithfulness change God's faithfulness? Listen, the believer can never lose fellowship with God. Look at what he said. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son. He didn't say unto your personal fellowship. He says unto the fellowship of his son. In other words, there was an ongoing fellowship between Jesus and God already before you joined. Example, I'm a rich man's son. I closed from school. And I went with my friend who is not rich. So we went home. My dad was playing football. When he was playing the football, I, the rich man's son, went to join and we're all playing football. So we're enjoying fellowship. Then the poor guy was just watching, was like, Wow, it's so nice. And he knows he can't join. He's just watching and just enjoying. So wow. Then the son says, Hey, come and join us. He says, Really? Me? I should come and join. Okay. Then he moves his shoes. Then he came. The fellowship was already ongoing between the father and the son. And he called the boy to come and join. There was an ongoing fellowship between God and Jesus, and God Jesus called you to come and join the fellowship. So, can you be the one to stop the fellowship? It began before you joined. Are yeah. <laughs> yeah. you seeing that? So, a fellowship with God is eternal. It is God's faithfulness that called us into fellowship. So, in case in your work with God, you make a mistake, does it affect your fellowship? No. <laughs> You know, the unbelievers, when they do something wrong, their prayer life changes. You know why? Because they thought that uh, there are believers who have more confidence when they have done something right in the week. There's a way they pray. That's when they know in the course of the week they have not done any wrong. So the, 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 the kind of tongues they are speaking is it, confidence in the flesh. When they make a mistake, <laughs> Brother, what is wrong? You are on fire. Brother, Ichabod. The glory has departed. (laughs) Listen. The believer's fellowship with God is eternal. Because it was not his faithfulness that commenced it. It was God's faithfulness that brought you into fellowship. So you cannot lose that fellowship. Tell someone, my fellowship with God is eternal. My fellowship with God is eternal. I am sealed by his blood. Now listen, the believer has peace with God. God has sworn never to be angry with you. In Isaiah chapter 54, the verse 9 and 10. Now look at this scripture. We're going to do this in five minutes, then we close. Look, he says, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not rot with thee nor rebuke thee. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? who is speaking here who is swearing here listen if God swears it's a serious matter he says as I swore to Noah that the waters will never destroy the earth again so have I sworn not to be angry with you now this is dangerous now did God swear to Noah that he will never destroy the earth again with flood since that day 5,000 years ago has it happened have you ever seen the whole earth destroyed with flood That means God kept his promise. Do you know that God does not have to swear? Now, the Bible says, for God is not a man that he should lie. In other words, men lie. So if it says God is not a man that he should lie, that means God cannot lie. So now, the reason why men swear is because they lie. So for me to trust you, you must swear to me. Did you get that? You must swear by something that is greater than you. So when you say, I swear, I will not do, I will not do anything bad against you. Then he says, oh, really? Okay. So when men swear, you get confidence in them, right? So if God cannot lie, does he need to swear? So why did God have to swear to Noah? Because that was the only language Noah could understand to have confidence in him. So God had to speak the language of a man by telling him, I swear. Because God cannot swear by anyone greater than him. Because he himself is the greatest. So when God swears, he swears by himself. So he swore to him that he will never cause flood to destroy the earth. Has it happened? Do you believe it? Do you believe God's word? Now, God says, as I swore that way for 5,000 years, it has not happened. He says, so do I swear never to be angry with you. In other words, if you believe Noah's swearing, and you don't believe God swearing that he will never be angry with you, you don't believe the Bible at all. Lift your hands. Say, God can never be angry with me. Come on, shout it. God can never be angry with me. I have absolute, total fellowship with God. It's now and forever. Romans chapter 5, the verse 1. Look at this. Romans 5, 1. Now look. He says, therefore, be justified by. Uh-uh. Are we justified by works? There are a lot of Christians who feel that they are justified by doing good. It's wrong. There are Christians who feel confident when they pay good offering. So they know that God is pleased with my sacrifice. You are not Solomon. Are you following what I'm saying? So you don't feel confident and justified by the good you do. He says therefore being justified by faith. How does a man receive justification? By, Mm -mm. by, 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 you know, sometimes you need to say things a thousand times before it sticks. We are justified by to be justified means to be made right with God. So that means therefore being made right by we have we have He didn't say we will have. We have peace with God. Through who? Through who? Through who? Our Lord Jesus. Lift your hands. Say I have peace. I have peace peace. peace with God. Because I'm justified by faith. And not by my works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. Look, he says, but now in Christ, ye who were sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ, by your 10 hours prayer, by your fasting. You know, there are Christians who feel when they fast, that's when they get closer to God. He says, We are drawn near by the blood of Jesus. So, what draws a man to God is his blood. next verse for he is a who is your peace Jesus who had made both one both Jews and Gentiles and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us next verse he says having abolished in his flesh the enmity the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself of twin one new man so making peace look at the next verse he says and that he might reconcile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. Look at the next verse. He says, and came and preached peace unto you, which were afar off, and to them that were near. Next verse. He says, for through him, we both have what? Access by one spirit with let's read this one, uh, together. One, two, go. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So, a prophet does not have more access to the Father than you do. So, you don't buy meal and bread and say, prophet, fast for me. Fast for me. I know God hears you more. He says, we all have what? Access! Listen, it is only in Christ that nobody enjoys monopoly power about God. Nobody enjoys monopoly power. We are not like Hezekiah and Isaiah. Isaiah came and said, Hezekiah, prepare your house. You're about to die. Hezekiah did something that shocked me. In our days today, if a prophet tells you about to die, you chase the prophet. Prophet, what shall I do? Who gave the prophecy? The prophet, who gave the prophecy to the prophet? God. Do you know Ezekiel did not chase the prophet? He went to the God of the prophet. (laughs) And turned, after speaking to God, God spoke to the prophet of God to go back to him. And went and changed the order. Listen, if believers know how to enjoy their access they have with God, they can change situations even in their bedroom. Listen, Tell someone I have access. I have same access. I have same access. Come on, shout. I have same access. Lift your hands. Say, Father, I thank you that the fellowship of Jesus is what I've been called into. God is faithful. And I've been called into the fellowship of his son. Lift your hands one more time. Say, Jesus is my peace with God. Jesus is my peace with God. God can never be angry with me. Because Jesus is my peace with God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 the verse 9. Look. He says, For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our lord what jesus christ listen everything the tabernacle was talking about was pointing to god's plan for your life listen to the jews they didn't understand they saw god telling them don't come near you have to come only through the high priest so they thought god was preventing them from coming They didn't know that God was teaching them that before you come to my presence, there must be a high priest. That high priest is Jesus. He's the one to bring you. So they saw barriers. God saw prophecy. Are you seeing that? So the tabernacle was about God's salvation plan to save a man. When a man is in Christ, listen to this in just two minutes. When a man is in Christ, the man is completely secured. He's what? He's one. So listen, believers who are scared of rapture don't understand what it means to be a Christian. I was surprised when I saw 1st Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, the verse 18. Let's go there. 1st Thessalonians chapter 4. If you are there, you say glory. glory. Good. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Alright. right, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read from the verse 16. Look. This was Paul's teaching on rapture. Please pay attention. He says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's what we get rapture together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the You don't stop there. There is a final verse there. If you don't read that one, you never understand what it means about the rapture. What is the next verse? Let's read together. One, two, go. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the rapture doctrine is for comforting one another encouraging one another. So, those days in the early church, rapture doctrine is for encouragement. Today is for threat. He says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. In other words, those days, they don't say Jesus is coming. They say maranatha. Then they all shout, maranatha. Jesus is coming. Then they are all comforted. Today, it has changed. It has changed. Today it's not Maranatha. It's Helata. <laughs> Say I'm secured. I'm secure. In, Christ. In Christ. Lift your hands and begin a blessing.